Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. You could have been a lot of different places, but yet you're right here, um, either watching online or right here in this auditorium. And I hope that this uh, day and this service really speaks to you and encourages you along the way. You know, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and if you have a television uh, at your house, more than likely at some point tonight, you will be watching some of the Super Bowl and you will see two teams play, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. So very quick, how many of you today are Kansas City fans? Anybody? All right. How about, how many of you are Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans? Oh, just one, a couple. It's Kansas City wins today. How many of you just don't care? Oh, all three services, <laughs> the don't care crowd. <laughs> well, the winner of tonight's game will win, will take home the Coach Vince Lombardi trophy. Now, what do we know about Coach Lombardi? He believed that football was not an individual sport, but football was a team sport. He knew that teamwork was the key to winning games. In fact, he said that people who work together will win, whether it's on the football field or whether it's dealing with the problems of modern society. Now, what do we know about teams? We know that teams come in all shapes and all sizes. If you're married, we know that your spouse and you are a team. Your family is a team. If you're going to work tomorrow, uh, you're going to probably work in an organization and probably be placed on a team. And teams come in all shapes and sizes. If you're in a small group, you're a part of a team. Every day, in some way, we're all a part of a team. So I want to talk to you about an Old Testament character named Nehemiah. He was an ordinary guy, but he was one of the most effective team builders in all of history. Nehemiah understood the importance of working together. He understood the importance that when you're faced with a problem, you're faced with a difficulty, you need support as you work through it, as you go through it. You need the support of other people. Now, what do we know about this guy, Nehemiah? I'll give you a quick overview uh, in case you missed last week. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And what's a cupbearer? In our terms, he was like a butler or maybe like a security guard. It was his job to protect the king. He would actually taste the food um, before the king would eat that food just in case it was poisoned along the way. So he became one of the most trusted people in all of the land. As the story opens in chapter one, Nehemiah's brother who lived in Jerusalem made the trip over to Persia. And as they were talking with each other, it came up about their homeland. And Nehemiah said, hey, how are things back in the homeland? How are things in Jerusalem? And he said, well, the wall is broken down. Now, just to give you a picture of the wall, a couple of years ago, Patty and I went to Jerusalem and here's a picture of Jerusalem. And in the distance, you can see uh, the wall there, okay? 
And then you'll see a picture of the Western Wall. Here's a picture of the Western Wall. It just shows you the magnitude of this project that Nehemiah was rebuilding. Now, this is called the Western Wall, but did you know that prior to 1967, it was called the Wailing Wall? Because the Jews would come to this wall and wail, longing to have a, a country of their own, wrong to reinstate Israel. So in 67, it changed from the Wailing Wall to the Western Wall. Now, for some of you who are new to the Bible and you're just here investigating Christianity and you're trying to figure out this Old Testament, New Testament thing, that you'll read some of these stories and you'll think, well, that really didn't happen. That was, that's like a fable or maybe just a good story. No, it actually happened. And here's a picture of Nehemiah's wall um, today. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, this is what Nehemiah's wall looks like. Uh, it's still standing after like 25 hundred years, okay? 2,500 years ago is when they, they built this wall. So Nehemiah's brother from uh, Jerusalem goes up to Persia and says, hey, the wall is broken down. Now, in those days, when somebody would hear that the wall is broken down, they, it's code word to say they're really in deep, deep, deep trouble. When a city's walls were down, thieves and bandits could come during the cover of darkness and could raid a city. When a city's walls were down, it would open the door for all sorts of evil to invade the city. So Nehemiah, when he heard that, knew that something had to be done. And so he was prompted. So he went to the king and he asked the king, for three things. He said, I need a leave of absence, I need a military escort, and I need uh, wood from the king's forest. And so Nehemiah knew that he was taking a huge risk to ask the king for these items. But he also knew that the gracious hand of God was on him. He had prayed about this for four months. He had sensed God's pleasure, God's prompting. He said, the gracious hand of God is on my life. When the people of Jerusalem heard Nehemiah's story and they recognized the gracious hand of God was on his life, they gathered together and they said, hey, let's, let's rebuild. Let's start building. So that's where we left off last week. When they started building the wall, rebuilding the wall, everybody was thrilled. They were excited. There was a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, their, their heart was in it. Everything was great. But when they reached about halfway, the halfway point, they recognized the size of this endeavor. They recognized that this was a huge, huge project. And they became discouraged they say, oh, it's just too hard. It's too difficult. And so Nehemiah gathered uh, them together to convince them that uh, those people that wanted to quit, they said, no, you can't quit. You've got to keep going. We've got to finish this. There could be people today in this room that maybe you're involved in a project. Maybe you're involved in a situation and you are at a point where you're so discouraged about that that you're ready to quit, that you're ready to throw in the towel, you're ready to move on to something else. If you're in that place, then you can understand what the people of Jerusalem were feeling as Nehemiah was inspiring them to rebuild the wall. And I think Nehemiah's story today can, I hopefully can inspire all of us to stay in the game. So these, these folks were discouraged. In fact, as you read this story, Nehemiah will unpack that there are four things that caused them to be discouraged in this process or in this rebuilding project. The first thing is this, and 
that people tend to give up, they tend to become discouraged when they're physically exhausted. When people are physically exhausted, they, uh, discouragement comes their way. When you're physically exhausted, when you're tired, that's when you tend to just give up. Now, the people uh, uh, of Jerusalem, they were tired. They were worn out because they had uh, started rebuilding this wall, this project. Now, at first, like I said, they were all in. In fact, verse 6 says, so we rebuilt the wall till, half of it, um, till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. They were all in. But when they reached the halfway point, they just ran out of steam. Drop down to verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They're physically tired. They're weary. They're worn out. And this is leading them to a place of discouragement. Now, if we could take a poll today in this audience, I would imagine that some of you would say, yeah, I can relate. I am worn out. In fact, there are some folks in this room that would be sleep deprived. And if you've ever been sleep deprived, it will take you to to deep and dark places. I mean, if you have a young child at home, you're probably sleep deprived, right? You get it. If you've got a young baby at home uh, and you're probably up and down most of the night, you're sleep deprived. Uh, My daughter Sarah has a a one-year-old named Shep and she is sleep deprived. Now, uh, hers goes even a little deeper than that because Shep uh, struggles to breathe. He struggles to breathe at night. So several weeks ago, he went to the Children's Medical Center and did uh, a sleep study on him. Here's a picture of him at the CMC. And he, uh, wait, he uh, stops breathing 26 times every hour, okay? And so when a baby stops breathing, that mom is there, you know? And, and so uh, for a year, she's been sleep deprived. Now, this is Shep coming to, into the church on Thursday. Now, he's a happy uh, little baby there. And so in, uh, in less than two weeks, he's going to have a surgery, and we hope that this surgery is going to help him breathe better. And so if you've got a young baby, you know that you're just simply sleep deprived. Um, now, if you work shift work, if you work shift work, you are sleep deprived because you get in this rotation of being in one shift, and then the weekend comes, or maybe you change shifts. My dad always changed shifts. He was on swing shift. You know, sometimes he'd work in the day, other time uh, 4 to 12, and then they called it what? The graveyard shift. Uh, Work the graveyard. So if you ever work um, multiple shifts, you're tired all the time because it takes some time. If you're a student, uh, specifically a medical student, you are sleep deprived. If um, people who binge on Netflix are, are sleep deprived. I mean, you know how it is. You watch a show, and then all of a sudden, it just goes on to the next show. And it just all of a sudden goes to the Before you know it, it is midnight, and there's a cliffhanger. But you've got to be up at 6 o'clock the next morning. And so you go to bed. And the only thing that really gets you up is that, okay, I can watch that next show tomorrow night. And you go through the day, you are sleep-deprived. Well, if you are running on empty physically... You'll eventually be running on empty emotionally and spiritually. 
So for some of you, the most spiritual thing that you can do today, okay, hear me. The most spiritual thing that you can do today is to go home and take a nap. I'm telling you, uh, you know, after six days of work, the Bible said God rested. This is a day of rest. And so if you will go take a nap, let's say three o'clock in the afternoon, get on that couch, get in the bed, I will be one in spirit with you. <laughs> so people tend to get, uh, give up when they're physically exhausted. Here's the second one. They give up when they're frustrated. They tend to give up when they're frustrated. When you get frustrated, you know, discouragement is not far behind. I mean, have you ever decided that you're going to clean out a big closet or clean out a house or so? I'll tell you, we started the year off and, um, you know, I want to get rid of the junk, not only in my life, but out of our house. And so I decided I have an office in an upstairs bedroom. I'm going to clean out my desk and then clean out the closet. And so, you know, you pull one drawer out and you start processing that. And then you thought, man, you're not going to get anywhere doing it this way. So what I did, I pulled all the stuff out of the drawers of the closet. And I just dumped it on the bed and it was like a pile high on the bed. And you start processing that. Do you know that is frustrating? And the reason it's frustrating is because you're picking up every item and you have to make a decision. What do I do with this item? Do I keep it? Do I throw it away? And do I keep it? Do I throw it away? And that is taxing on you. And that frustration will cause you to a place of discouragement to the point where you get halfway through the project, you throw up your hands, you throw it all back in the closet and said, I'll see you in 2022. Okay. And so people tend to give up when they're frustrated. Nehemiah went to Jerusalem to rebuild a wall. I don't think that the people that were working on the wall were prepared for all of the debris and all of the junk that they had to deal with. We see in verse 10, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild a wall. Now think about this. When you're in a building project, you're, maybe you're rebuilding a wall, rebuilding a fence, or, or, or you're building a structure. Maybe you're building a career. Maybe you're building a resume. You're building a family. Every time you build something, there will be debris. You can't build anything without junk piling up. And you hear me say this a lot. You've got to get the junk out of your life. You've got to get the junk out of your life. And maybe you need to go clean out the closet. You need to clean out your closet. Maybe you need to let the wrong people leave out of your life so that there's room for the right people to come in. Maybe you need to clean out your schedule. You look at your schedule and you clean out those things that are dragging you down, those things that are discouraging you. You know what? How about this? Even those some good things. Sometimes with our calendars, we need to clean out the good things to make room for the better things. And so people tend to give up when they're frustrated. And so many times uh, their schedules are a sense of frustration for them because they've got too much junk. You've got junk in your life. So what is the rubble in your life? What is that junk, that things that make you stumble? 
What are the things that make you fall? What is that rubble? Those things that are keeping you away from God and his plan for your life. You gotta get rid of the junk. Here's the third thing. People tend to get discouraged. They give up when they encounter failure. As Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the wall, they thought that their plan was going well, but then things changed. I mean, they came in thinking, okay, we can do this work in a certain amount of days and a certain amount of uh, effort, but then everything changes and it becomes overwhelming. It became overwhelming to them. And when some, a project becomes overwhelming to you, so many times that discourages you. And then you just conclude, well, this just can't be done. We look at, at verse 10, it says, there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Another version of the Bible says, we'll never be able to finish this. We'll never be able to do this. Some of you feel like that. You're working on a project, you're working on a situation, and you said, will I ever get this done? I'll never be able to do this. I never envisioned that I would have to do this. Sometimes life turns out different than you had planned. And most of the time when you embark on a project, that project will take you longer than you thought. It just does. And so you've got to just be practical. You've got to take a breath. You've got to extend some grace your way and just realize that most projects will take you longer than you plan because there will be unexpected things that happen along the way. You know, whether you're writing a paper for your high school and you're writing this paper and, and you're, you're mapped it out, it's due at eight o'clock on Friday and you're gonna start at eight o'clock on Thursday. Probably not gonna happen. You've got to uh, allow space uh, for your creativity and your abilities to work. It's going to take you longer than you thought. And so they, Nehemiah's project reached halfway point, and the people were overwhelmed. They didn't think they could finish. They lost enthusiasm, and they lost hope. Then they felt like failures. Nobody likes to feel like a failure. So many times... Uh, when we fail at something, uh, we get frustrated and we get angry. And so many times when we're angry about something, we do one of two things. We, we like to blame somebody else for our problems. It's your fault. It's your fault. And we, we cast the blame on somebody else because we have this anger because it didn't work out. And so we blame somebody else or we turn around and we blame ourselves. And then we throw this pity party that, that we struggle with. Instead of blaming others or blaming some, uh, yourself, how about this? Just say, hey, this just didn't work out. It just didn't work out. Everybody has failures. Everybody makes mistakes. We all make wrong choices. We have all done things that we're not proud of. We're all done, we've all done things that have taken us down the wrong road. Do you know that God knew that you would mess up before he called you? Do you realize that God knew that you'd get off course and at times that you would give in to temptation? That God didn't base his plan for your life on you making perfect decisions. 
He has a plan for your mistakes. God has a plan for you when you fail, when you feel like a failure. And I realize some of you are thinking, well, nothing good can come out of this situation. What I see is that God loves to take those broken pieces of your life. He loves to touch them and turn uh, them around and bring something good out of it. God wants to rebuild your life. As Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the wall, they thought their plan was going in a certain way, but it turned out in a different, uh, turned out to be something different. It didn't work. And they were discouraged. Here's the fourth reason they were discouraged. People tend to give up when they're afraid. And that's what happened in Nehemiah's story. They went to rebuild the wall, and there's a group of people in Jerusalem that did not want them to rebuild the wall. In fact, they liked everything like it was. They didn't want any change to happen in their community. And two of the ringleaders of this group of people, these negative naysayers, were named Sanballat and Tobiah. And they came in and they, uh, they criticized and they ridiculed the people. They, they criticized Nehemiah and they said, you know, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're going to do? Do they actually think that they can make something out of this rubble, out of these stuff? I mean, if they, if they build anything, if a little fox would walk on it, that, that wall would crumble. And they started criticizing the workers there. Not only did they ridicule the workers, but they threatened them. They threatened their very lives. They threatened to kill them. And, and when they started threatening their lives, it got real personal for the people working on the wall. And they would go home and it, it scared them and they, they felt these threats and, and it, it ignited negative conversations in the community to the point where people were, uh, it was, uh, people were talking about it and how bad it was and how bad it was gonna be. And, and you know what? When all you hear is bad news, you're gonna be worried and you're gonna be afraid. And all they could hear. In fact, they, one scripture in this passage says, it was like 10 times over they were speaking about this negative time. 10 times more than anything else, they're talking negative. And when all you hear is bad news, you're gonna be worried and you are gonna be afraid. Folks, we live in a world that focuses on the bad news. And you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your life. There's so much negative things um, being uh, promoted on every, at every turn that we have. And you really have to watch it. You have to build a guard. Because if you're not careful, it can be like the people of Jerusalem. That that's all you're talking about is the negative news, is the negative. When that negative stuff takes root in your life, this is what you're going to be saying. Oh my goodness, what if I get sick? Oh my goodness, what if my business goes under? Oh my goodness, what if I lose my job? Oh my goodness, what if my child is in an accident? Oh my goodness, what if I get the virus? Do you know what? All of those are valid. All of those things I just mentioned in those questions are valid concerns. However, you need to remember that you are not alone. You're not alone. 
You have a protector. You have a defender. You have a deliverer. You have the most high God, and he is the guardian of your soul. This is the message of 1 Peter chapter 2, when it says, once you were like sheep who have wandered away, but now you have turned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. You don't have to be afraid. God has a shield of protection around you. God knows how to keep the harm away from you. And if it does come and affect you, God has the power to bring healing to you. He knows how to restore what was taken. And I believe that he has the power to rescue you from every trap. Being practical, God has protected you. God has protected you from things that you don't even know about. You don't even know about it. He's kept that car from hitting you. He's pushed back that, that sickness. He's thwarted the plans of the enemy. He has moved people out of the way because he knew there were gonna be a bad influence on you. He has been guarding you and he has been protecting you since the day that you were born. And if you knew all of the things that God has already done for you to protect you, you wouldn't be worried and afraid of the things that are happening now. God's power is bigger than anything you will face this week. Hear that. God's strength uh, is bigger than anything that's going to become against you. So you don't have to be discouraged. The people of Nehemiah's day, they were discouraged. And he gathers them together. And in verses uh, 13 and following, he gives four things, uh, words of encouragement to them, four uh, cures for their uh, discouragement. We drop down to verse 14. He said, don't be afraid of them, those people that are ridiculing, those people that are criticizing, those people that are threatening you. Hear this, do not be afraid. But what does he say? He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. If he were in this service, he would say, oh, you need to write this down. You need to fill in the blanks. You need to remember the Lord. You need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. What was he communicating? He was saying, look, folks, it's time to take a time out. It's time to huddle together. He said, wait a minute, we need to huddle together. We need to talk through this. You know, how many football games have you seen and were lost in the last couple of minutes because the coach did not take a time out? He didn't use his timeouts, or maybe he didn't use his timeouts properly. Maybe he used them too early in the half, and it gets down to this critical uh, few uh, seconds left in the game, and he doesn't have any timeouts. You know, timeouts important because it's during that time that he gathers the team together to huddle together and said, okay, we need to have some focus here. We need to finish the game. We need to, uh, to finish strong. I need your heads to be in the game. I think that's what Nehemiah was doing. He gathered, he huddled. He said, it's time to huddle. When he called the people together, they were tired and they'd lost focus. He said, look, 
This is what I need you to do. I need you to remember. I need you to remember the Lord. I would imagine that he was telling the stories of their forefathers, how God delivered them um, from uh, plague after uh, plague, and then the Red Sea, and then provided for them over and over. I would imagine he's telling the stories of victory of their past. He said, we need to refocus here. God is bigger than all of this. So remember the Lord. Here's the second thing he said. I want you to get together with your family and your friends. You know, when you're discouraged, you need to get together with family and friends. And if you don't have a family nearby, that's uh, why we offer the church family. That's why it's so important to have a small group. In verse 13, Nehemiah gathered the people together and he posted them at the wall, but he posted them by families. He put families with families and he put friends with friends. When you are discouraged, you need to find people who care for you. You need to find people who care for you and who will stand with you and who will be a source of encouragement along the way. We need each other. I'll tell you, one of the, uh, the tragedies of the last year is that so many people have not been able to spend time with their family and friends. And hear me today, it is time for you to do that. It is time for you to figure out a way to spend time with your family and your friends. I'm telling you, you are a smart person. You're smart. You can figure it out. You don't need anybody else to figure this part out for you, but you can figure out how to do it respectfully. You can figure out how to do it safely. And, but most of all, you need to figure out how to do it because we need, when we go through times of stress and difficulty and, and fear and worry, we need people that, that have been with us through the journey, that people who know us. Nehemiah said, Get together with your family and get together with your friends. And he did that. The third thing he said, I want you to look forward to the future. Look ahead. You know, when you're in a place of discouragement, you need to start dreaming about what life can be like. You need to look forward to the future. In verse 15, he said, when it was known that God had frustrated the plans of the enemy, we all returned to, to the wall. When we realized God had already handled the situations, we, went, we returned to the wall. And when they returned to the wall, they said, you know what? We're going to stand our ground. We're going to fight for our future. But what they realized is it was not their battle, but it was the Lord's battle. And what you need to realize that when you start looking ahead in the future, that this battle that you're waging, it is not your battle. It is the Lord's battle. God is fighting for you. God has already handled the situation. The enemy may send storms into your life. Don't worry because I believe that God controls the winds of those storms. There's no storm that he cannot calm. There's no giant that, is, that he cannot slay. There's no fire that he cannot, that is too hot, that he cannot rescue you from it. God is here to help you. In your automobile, there's this big windshield. And then there's this little rear view mirror that you have. 
Why is that? Why is there this big windshield and a little rear view mirror? The reason the windshield is so large and the rear view mirror is so small is because what has happened in your past is not as important of the things that are about to happen to you in your future. What is going on, what is going to happen is so much more important. Where you're going is so much more important than where you've been. And you need to understand that. You need to look forward. You need to be hopeful. Here's the fourth and final one. When Nehemiah returned to the wall, he said, each to our own work. He he would say to us, you need to be productive. You need to be productive. Nehemiah knew it was important for them um, to get back to work. They said, let's rebuild. The battle is the Lord's. I would imagine that he would say to his people, he said, look, I know it's been tough and I know that you've been afraid and I know the threats have been real, but I want you to understand that the greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity for God to do something in this situation. And I realize that some of you have feel like that you have opposing forces working at you. If the opposing opposition is great, know this, that the opportunity for a miracle is even greater. Nehemiah knew it was important for them to get back to work. So the Bible says that they worked through the night. That they even slept in their clothes. That Nehemiah led the way that Nehemiah was persistent, that Nehemiah was faithful, that he endured to the end. And so today, today, I'm here to encourage you to don't give up. I'm in here to encourage you to press through the situation, press through the problem, stay faithful to the Lord, finish the task, don't give up. Don't give up on this relationship. Don't give up on this job that you have. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on this wayward child. Don't give up on your schoolwork. Don't give up on your dream. Be faithful and finish what you have started. You can do this. Don't allow the negative voices to steer you in the wrong direction, but listen to the voice of truth. What does the voice of truth say? The voice of truth says that no weapon formed against you will prosper and all those that rise up against you will fall. The voice of truth says that you are the head and not the tail and you are above and not beneath. The voice of truth says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The voice of truth says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Put your uh, hand and praise him for that. Hear the voice of truth. God is greater. And his strength is available to you. And his power is here for you. And some of you, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Today is your day. You've been around church some, but you never made the decision. You met, never prayed the prayer. Today, you're gonna to do that. You're gonna have an opportunity to say, Jesus, save me. There's others of you that you walk through these doors and you feel like the weight of the world is, is on you. I'm gonna pray that God will give you the strength 
And God will give you the wherewithal that you will be able to handle the burden. And in those moments where you cannot handle it, that he'll give uh, you supernatural power to deliver you from those things that are holding you back. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to approach this prayer with that simple uh, openness. God, I want everything that you have for me. God, come. I want everything that you have for me. You ready to pray? You ready? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for those watching online. I'm thankful for those in this auditorium and I pray over them. First of all, I pray for those individuals that have never been saved. You never prayed the prayer. Right now, with sincerity, I just want you to pray these words. Say, Jesus, save me. Say that. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Pray this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. Save me, Lord. Forgive me. Fathers, they pray that simple prayer. I ask that the miracle of salvation would flow over this congregation. I not only pray for those, I pray for those uh, families that are struggling. Some of them are, are struggling with medical issues. Others are struggling with depression. Others are struggling because of workplace challenges. God, come and Enlighten the load. Come and bring hope. Jesus, come and move. Father, there are people here that they're so burdened because of a prodigal. Their hearts are sad. And I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would bring the prodigals home. There's some that are suffering because of a long-term illness or disease or a condition. I pray, Father, that you would bring healing in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we pray that you would hear this prayer in this congregation. We pray, God, we receive, say that, we receive what you have for us. We receive this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.